Blessed Pope John Paul II is known as the Pope of Divine Mercy, a dedicated promoter of the writings and legacy of St. Faustina. He also fervently embraced total consecration to Mary. What connects these two aspects of his pontificate? How does Mary lead us to the divine mercy of God? Join us as we follow Mary to the foot of the cross with popular author and the director of the Association of Marian Helpers, Father Michael Gately. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Today we'll be talking about Mary and Divine Mercy. I'm joined here at Franciscan University Studios with our regular panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and Dr. Scott Hahn, the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization here at Franciscan University. And today our special guest is Father Michael Gately, who is a priest of uh, the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. Mm -hmm. He's also the director of the Association of Marian Helpers, which I believe has over a million uh, members as part of that. Uh, you're an alumnus of Franciscan University, uh, and you're the author of the book Consoling the Heart of Jesus, uh, which is a do-it-yourself uh, retreat uh, in, in modeled after the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, mm -hmm. as well as a uh, book on the Marian consecration, 33 Days to Morning Glory, uh, which is a, a wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, you're now a, a author, a, a retreat master, and you do so much now speaking around the country. So we're so glad you could be with us here today. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, let's begin. We're talking about Mary and Divine Mercy. Uh, so if you could share with us, what is the message of Divine Mercy? Well, I mean, this would be a, a kind of a gross oversimplification, but the message of Divine Mercy, you could kind of summarize it with two books, really. The first, first and foremost, you have the book of sacred scripture, mm -hmm. the Bible, the Word of God, the central message of which is God's mercy for sinners, especially in the Gospels. That's the good news. God's mercy for sinners and Jesus Christ our Savior. The second book, one a very important book in Christian literature, is The Diary of St. Faustina. Now, St. Faustina was uh, a, a saint. She was a Polish nun. She was also a mystic. Mm. And Jesus appeared to her on the eve of World War II, in time before a time of great suffering, and he gave her a message of mercy for our time. Now, it wasn't some new gospel. That's impossible, right? But it was reiterating the central message of sacred scripture mm. for our time. And she's sort of a prophetic voice for our time of, the, of God's closeness in a time of suffering. And he gave to St. Faustina certain promises of his mercy for our time and also a new devotion on divine mercy. You say a new devotion. What, what, what was that devotion that, that she shared? Sure. You know, uh, there, there's, there was a devotion where basically in, in our community, the way we remember the aspects of it that was given to, by Jesus to St. Faustina uh, with one word, uh, finch. If you remember the one finch. word finch, you got the five aspects of it. F stands for feast, the feast of divine mercy, divine mercy Sunday. Uh, the image, the I for image, the image of divine mercy, which many people are familiar with. Uh, and the Novena Divine Mercy, and then C, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, 
and then H, the hour of divine mercy. And these were different, uh, you know, mm -hmm. devotional concrete practices that people could use to sort of enter more deeply into the mystery of mercy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by doing these devotions, by looking at the image of Divine Mercy, by liturgically celebrating Divine Mercy Sunday, it sort of helps people open their hearts more deeply to this, this wonderful, wonderful mystery of God's love. Mm, that's a powerful way. And to say that uh, on the eve of such great destruction, great evil in the world, um, our Lord appeared in a very powerful and, and, and gave us a new message reminding us. But it, is, it, is it just a reminder or is there some new things that really are? Well, I mean, for me, the, the heart of the message of Divine Mercy, the reason why it's so important, the reason why it's taken so many hearts in our time is because the message of Divine Mercy is a message of great hope for our time. That, you know, a lot of the way things are going in the world, a lot of people can get discouraged or even fall into despair. Mm. And the, the, the message of Scripture, what I, which one of my favorite passages in sacred Scripture is Romans 5, verse 20, where St. Paul says, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And the message of divine mercy is basically saying, we're, you know, to use John Paul's assessment of our modern situation, we're living in a time of, in some ways, unprecedented evil. Well, God's not going to be outdone by evil. And so in our time, he's going to give extraordinary graces so that evil does not have the final word. It never will. But in extraordinary evil, he's giving extraordinary grace. And that's where the promises and the tender message of divine mercy, which reiterates scripture, is given for our time as a message of hope when we need it very much. Yeah. Now, Father, you're not mm -hmm. suggesting that this is a kind of uh, radical innovation as if between those two bookends, uh, Scripture and, and uh, St. Faustina, nothing happened. We just said, <laughs> Right, exactly. That's why I said it grows over simplification. Right? <laughs> no, I, I think the key Absolutely. is to recognize that the medicine of divine mercy has never been, is, is sorely needed, you know. I think the prescription recommended for Advil is two, but when I'm really sore, I take three. <laughs> and I think in this case, God knew what was gonna happen in this modern and postmodern age, you know. I love that passage in Romans 5, but I also love one in Romans 11 where mm -hmm. we read God consigned all to sin that he might have mercy upon all. Mm -hmm. And this comes at the climax of this extended treatment of the relationship between Israel and the Gentiles, all the other nations. Because the natural tendency for Israelites in the old or for Catholics in the New Testament age is to think, well, we will merit salvation through our virtue. And they, on the other hand, are going to be straggling along those Gentiles, you know, but the fact is, you know, he consigns all to sin so that he might have mercy upon all. And what we recognize there is that mercy is not what most people think. It's not just divine pity, awe, these poor miserable souls. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas' treatment of mercy shows that it's more like the coordination of the sum of all of God's attributes, you know. So it isn't just power, although it is omnipotence. It isn't just goodness, although it is that omnibenevolence. It isn't just knowledge that he, he runs the tape ahead of time to see what will happen to kind of, you know, preempt it. It's the coordination of his goodness, his power, his knowledge, his love. And then all of a sudden, it's the full display of that where he reaches down to us in our misery. And then the misericordia, he raises us up, not just back to square one, point zero, but to the heights of divinization. Mm. You know, so to the end, you're like, mercy is sort of like, well, as one theologian in your order reminds me, it's the, it's the final cause. It's the cause of all causes, as uh, uh, Father Seraphim puts it. It's the causiest cause of all causes. You know? <laughs> it's the reason why God does everything. Yeah, yeah. we call that a seraphism. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're right. You know, you you raised an important point. You know, with the, there's the scripture, and you were just drawing out from sacred scripture and the importance of the central message of oh, divine yeah. mercy. 
And you're right, you know, there's, mercy is everything. God's love for us is always in the form of mercy because of what you said, misery. It's love when it encounters poverty, suffering, brokenness, weakness, and sin. But I think what's so uh, important about the message of divine mercy for our time, and St. Faustina in particular, is, is that I, I see her, you know, sometimes people will put it in terms of, oh, well, that's private revelation, we've got public right. revelation, right. you don't have to believe yeah. it. And that's one way of approaching the subject. Right. I, I prefer to approach it from the point of view of the charism of prophecy, where you know, prophecy didn't end just in, in the Old Testament or the New Testament. There's a charism in the church where God raises up certain holy men and women to remind the church of certain mysteries that are needed for a particular time. Right. And that you gave this emphasis on misery and where you know, mercy is, is God's love in the midst of our misery. And this time, I think we would all agree and we wouldn't have to argue that this is a time of great misery. You know, right. The economic yeah. situation, but the moral situation of our country and in the world. And so what's uh, astonishing to me is the way that God has not only raised up St. Faustina with this dramatic testimony to divine mercy for our time, but the way it's all intertwined with the testimony as well of Pope John Paul II, right. who many call the Other great mercy Polish pope, saint. Yes. You know, who, yeah. who died, who instituted the feast of divine mercy, who this message was so important for him because of, of, of the situation of the modern world. Remember his first words when he was elected pope, you know, in his homily, right. be not afraid. Right. And the, his last words, you know, he died, but he before uh, he died, but he, you know, being a good priest or bishop or pope, he prepared his homily for the next day. Yeah. He wasn't able to give it, but his last words were, "How much the world needs to understand and accept divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. Have mercy on us and on the whole world." And I see that as bookends. Be not afraid. Jesus, I trust in you. Because it's a love more powerful than evil, and we should not get discouraged. You don't feel strongly about any of this. Hey, yeah, I don't <laughs> see the passion here. It's pouring yeah. out of you. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're like worried love. about your complacence. What strikes me is that uh, it's, it's finally reducible, this, this exercise of mercy, that God dispenses mercy, that it's finally reducible, not to some sort of principle or power, which you could argue is really sort of external to God, uh, but rather it's reducible to a person who mm -hmm. bears a unique name, concretely incarnate mm -hmm. in a person whom we call Jesus. He is mercy. He and, is God's and mercy. And that's why his mercy is so real to us. It's not just this, this abstract concept. Right. It's the person of Christ. Right. And I think that's what is getting people so excited about this message of divine mercy. It's a personal testimony of this saint who's a modern saint in our time with a pope who you know, is somebody that we saw on TV, and they're all, it's people that we can see, it's very personal, and it's, right. it's a personal testimony of divine mercy. So that, I mean, keep, we have to keep in mind, divine mercy, God is love, we've heard that a million times. The challenge for us as Christians, because of the wound of original sin, which gets us, as the Catechism says, to have a distorted image of God our Father. The challenge for us is to begin to let that truth that is, that God is love, and He loves me, not because I'm so good, not because I'm doing this, but because I need His love, Right. For that truth to go from my head to my heart, I need not just to hear lectures or, or read books. I need to hear testimony. I need to see an image and artwork. Right. I need to pray a devotion so that this truth can get down into my heart, which is a challenge and takes a lot of different aspects to, to really become something real. That, that's so important because the tendency, <coughs> the temptation, you know, for me as a professor, but for all of us, is to kind of intellectualize the truths of the faith or for us to professionalize them, you know, in teaching mm -hmm. and to talk about, talk more about God than we talk to Him. Mm. But I, to reflect through prayer upon this, you know, that, that, that God loved us into existence, that, you know, it isn't our goodness that causes His love, it's His love that causes our goodness, our existence, and ultimately our glorification. 
you know, from beginning to end. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it, as Paul says. And I think that recognition gives us a tremendous peace at the same time it prepares us for whatever sufferings we go through because it isn't just a stoic resignation to suffering. On the other side is resurrection. On the other side is love and glory. And so it's, it's a means to an end, but ultimately, I mean, it's something that is not human, but divine, and it's like, wow. Yeah. And, and, and how do you look at it from a sense of, yeah, on one, one extreme you have uh, people who may not truly understand why they even need God's mercy. They think everyone's going to heaven, everyone's good, everyone's taken care of, I'm okay, you're okay. To the other side where they think, there is no way I, I, I can be forgiven and I have to work out, you know, there's a true sense of working out your, your salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul says, but, but, but think that they're beyond God's mercy. You've got two extremes. What does divine mercy say to those it's, two extremes? Yeah, it's interesting you say that because sometimes uh, a critique people will have divine mercy as well. You know, in our time, there's a loss of the sense of sin. Yeah. So you're talking about mercy. People aren't going to understand mercy unless they know they're sinners. That's right. And uh, that's true, but at the same time, there also are a lot of people who are, you know, there's kind of this this Catholic Jansenism, unfortunately, the remnants of that heresy of Jansenism where we have to earn God's love and right. before we can approach Him, we have to be perfect. So it's, that, it's a complicated situation we're in. But for me, that's why I love so much the testimony that Faustina gives in her diary because it's, she, it's talking so much about God's mercy and he's saying, you know, the greater the sinner, the greater his right to my mercy. And it's just reiterating the message of sacred scripture and our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. At the same time, when you're reading it, you begin to see, I remember my experience of reading the diary is you're seeing that Faustina is talking about all these areas where she's recognizing her sins. There's one frightening passage where she says, where Jesus says to her, if I were to show you all of your wretchedness right now, you would die of horror, which terrified me. But at the same time, that could send people for a loop. But the idea is it's always to keep our eyes on two realities. One, our wretchedness, that we're weak, broken sinners. When you read this saint talking about her life, you're saying, I'm far from holiness, right. right? But at the same time, you keep one eye on our misery, and I think this is how Faustina put it, and always the other eye on divine mercy. Mm. It's not just looking at divine mercy and that's it. It's not just looking at our sinfulness and that's it. It's always being aware of our weakness, our brokenness, our sin, but also looking up with hope and, and eyes filled with this, tears of contrition. This is an that's important perfect. point. Um, you know, we've cited Romans now twice. I want to cite <laughs> it a third time because in Romans 2, Paul throws out a line that we've heard so much, but we've pondered so little. Because on the one hand, there's a day of wrath, but that doesn't cause us to repent. It causes us to run. On the other hand, Paul says, don't you know that God's forbearance and his kindness and his mercy, that's what leads us to repentance. Mm. It's like, really? Oh, yeah. When you realize that in spite of our sin, his holy kindness is going to be there for us. At that point, we're opened up. We're sort of disarmed. We're shocked, but at the same time, we're humble to say, okay, you know, out it comes. If you can forgive me, then I can confess. And I think this is why there's no, it's not a tug of war. Well, mercy is going to cause us to kind of trivialize sin. No, mercy is going to cause us to really come to be, you know, come to self-honesty about it, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's crucial. That, that is a very good point. Uh, stay with us on Franciscan University Presents as we talk about Mary and divine mercy. Stay with us. Sometimes like I'm a more melancholy type person, so concentrating on God's love and His mercy for me, it's just, it keeps me going and it sustains me. And without it, I probably wouldn't still be Catholic. Divine mercy allows us to recognize our sin, not in a debilitating way, but in a way that we are able to take our brokenness to God in a way that He can heal us. 
and that we can allow His love to permeate everything that we do, even our own brokenness. The Divine Mercy Chaplet is such a beautiful prayer. And at three o'clock every day in St. Joseph Center, we ring the bell and gather the different co-workers together. And we pray for our individual needs, but more importantly for the university and people around the nation and around the world. And it is such a powerful and tremendously beautiful prayer. And I encourage people, just pray it, just do it. Pick up the rosary and just do it anytime, day or night, and you will change lives throughout the world. My name is Michael Villanueva. I'm majoring in philosophy and theology. Last semester I had sacraments with Dr. Hunt. And uh, I'll tell you right now, it was the best class of my entire life. A every class, I'm just knocked out of my chair. It hits me like a ton of bricks. The beauty of the truth that he's speaking to us. Something so simple, God's but so beautiful and so profound and so powerful. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, we're talking about uh, Divine Mercy and Our Lady. Uh, and so maybe if you could help us, we spent some time in the first segment uh, talking about Divine Mercy. So what's the intersection uh, or what's the relevance of Our Lady to the message of Divine Mercy? Sure, there's, a, there's a, something when I was reading the, the diary of St. Faustina, this theological concept jumped out that I think gives the underpinnings for me of understanding Mary and divine mercy. Mm. And that's this idea that and when you're reading the diary of St. Faustina and saints like Mother Teresa of Calcutta, even St. Therese of Lisieux, there's this idea where Jesus seems, especially these mystics, like it's an appeal for mercy, where he's like, he's talking about a desire to, that someone would console him, or mm. you know, you think of the sacred heart revelation, behold this heart which loves so much, yet which is so little loved. It's the pain of the heart of Jesus. And some, what struck me one day was, you know, the, the, the core of a Christian life or moral life is to love God and love neighbor. And the foundation for the love of neighbor is to love God. But when we turn to mercy, sometimes we think of, you know, it's, it's time to have mercy on my neighbor, but we don't ever think of having mercy on God. God doesn't need our mercy. He's in no need. He's everything. He doesn't need us. Yeah. But the idea is, what I came to realize is with the, the incarnation, the poverty of the incarnation, God chose to make himself be in need of our love and make mm -hmm. himself vulnerable. And as Pope John Paul II points out in his encyclical letter on divine mercy, uh, Divis Misericordia, in, the, in, the, in the, the suffering and passion and death of Jesus Christ, the Father, it's a way for us to actually have mercy on God in the person of the, of the Son. And so uh, for me though, it's, what's important with Mary in this whole message of divine mercy is that Jesus, in a certain sense, can't be our example of having mercy on himself. As he's on the cross, he can't be like, okay, this is how you have mercy on me. Let's see how, how compassionate I am on myself as I'm dying on the cross. No. What we have, though, at the foot of the cross is Mary, who has mm -hmm. the, who is overcome from the, through the power of the Immaculate Conception and her faithfulness to grace throughout her life, overcome the hardness of heart that plagues all of us, which makes our hearts insensitive to the suffering of others. Mm -hmm. And Mary has that perfect compassionate love for Jesus in his suffering and throughout his life. And she becomes then the model for us of the foundation for a life of mercy, where it begins first and foremost on having mercy on Jesus Christ our Savior, having mercy on Him and His passion. And when we draw close to the passion of Jesus, as the diary is asking us, as He's asking Faustina all the time, He says, you know, always saying, meditate on my passion. Why? Because it softens our hearts, making them more compassionate on others. So for me, the diary of St. Faustina and, 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 and Mary puts 
the whole theology of mercy on a solid foundation with Mary being our model of compassionate love for Jesus and his passion. Uh, that, that's beautiful and it really connects Jesus with Mary at the cross as we, as we need to do so that when we pray, you know, mother of mercy, our life, our sweetness and our hope, mm. we're not taking anything from him, we're just seeing all that he gave to her. But when you point to the cross, I think there's something even deeper. I mean, a kind of ocean with no bottom or shores because he's not just dying for us, He's dying for his torturers, his executioners, yes. his betrayers. And he's asking her not just to show mercy to him, but to accept the gift of divine motherhood, not just for us in a generic way, but for the very people who were torturing her son. Yeah. She is giving consent to be their mother too. You know? And when you ponder that, I mean, it's almost imponderable. Yeah. You recognize, okay, she's the mother of mercy. You know, on the one hand, God consigns all to sin that he might have mercy because we need to be humbled and pride is a self-exalting move. But in Mary's case, he didn't consign her to sin because he consigned a grace to her that enabled her to be this ocean of mercy, to be the recipient of a grace that is beyond all comprehension so that in her lowliness, she is filled with a fullness so that she can do what no other can do, but she doesn't do it apart from him, she doesn't do it apart from the cross. Yeah. Mm, it's like, ooh. There's this theme of the loneliness of God in his nakedness upon the cross. Uh, it is true that he didn't really die for his friends because he didn't have any, with the exception of Mary and Joseph. We were all alienated, even Joseph, because we all are complicit in sin. We all conspired to put him on the cross. And so he dies for his enemies, uh, who's, who's whose number and name is, is Legion. And so he's alone. And in that aloneness, I think he draws uh, our uh, attention, our sympathy. We reach out to him. We, we try to comfort him. That, it seems to me, is the whole ground of the devotion of the Sacred Heart, mm -hmm. uh, which Margaret Mary uh, gave us back in the 17th century, that Jesus has a human heart. I mean, God doesn't have a heart. He's eternal. He's God. He's pure spirit. But when he assumed our flesh and blood, uh, he was given a human heart, which means it can be broken. Mm -hmm. It can be pierced. Yeah, and yeah. What, what you just said about the loneliness of God on the cross there, is it reminds me of a Blessed Mother Teresa, where for her the whole heart of the missionaries of charity and the core of her entire spirituality was to hear the words of Jesus from the cross, I thirst, not a thirst for water, not a thirst for beer or Coca-Cola, right? A thirst for love. And the idea, Mother Teresa has this profound insight into the role of Mary in the midst of the loneliness of Jesus through her mystical, her own mystical experiences. And there's a line from one of the most famous letters of Mother Teresa that she wrote to her religious community about the thirst of Jesus on the cross. And in that letter, she describes Mary's role there at the foot of the cross. She says that Mary's whole role, her whole being, is to bring us face to face with the love of the heart of Jesus crucified. For her, that it's Mary's job to give us the courage to come to the cross where we experience divine mercy. We're afraid to approach the cross. And uh, Father Joseph Langford, who is the co-founder of the Missionaries of Charity uh, Fathers with Mother Teresa, he speculates that it was because of John, the beloved disciple's closeness to Mary, that he had the courage to come to the cross, whereas everyone else left him alone. And, and so yeah. what Mary's role is, is because her heart was so pierced at the loneliness of her son on the cross, at his thirst, at that all of his friends has abandoned him, Mary's role in a certain sense, what she takes on her shoulders is, is sort of to make, to help bring 
the sons and daughters that she has because of the sacrifice of her son to be good friends to Jesus and to have the courage yeah. to come to the cross. Yeah, and, and also to share in this kenosis. I mean, Pope, uh, blessed John Paul tells us that after Jesus, her self-emptying was the greatest uh, of any uh, creature on the planet. Uh, and, and so there's a solidarity that she shares. When you suffer, it, it's nice to know that there's somebody who recognizes your pain and enters into it and says, I'll be, I'll be there for you. And she beckons us, I, I suppose, to join her at the foot of the cross and offer comfort uh, to her son. Yeah. You know, there's a, another Polish saint I want to bring up, and that's Saint Maximilian Kolbe, yes. who, mm -hmm. who spoke of the ineffable union of Mary and the Holy Spirit. Yes. Because when we speak of her as the fullness of of grace. It isn't just some generic property of God that she possesses. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's a plenitude, you know, that theology shows us exceeds that of the angels and the saints combined because she is the source or the means by which they get it. And so that kenosis, that yeah. emptying, is not just the emptying of her humanity. It's also the pouring out of a divine grace right. mm. that uh, she possesses in a fullness that we can't comprehend. One other thing too, in terms of divine mercy and Mary there at the cross and her role there with the Holy Spirit is one of the, one of the titles for the Holy Spirit is the Consoler. Yeah. And that Mary at the foot of the cross, where you know Jesus yeah. had no one, he was completely abandoned, and yet the Holy Spirit, yeah. the Spirit of love, fill, you know, filling the heart of, of our Blessed Mother, gave her the strength or whoever the mystery of that works out, but that Mary was the consoler for Jesus at the foot of the cross with the Holy Spirit yeah. there. You know, and it, it can be argued in, in a sort of human way that she is the only source of consolation he's got at that moment because seemingly the Father has left him. He's abandoned. He's bereft. I mean, Adrian von Speyer speculates that when he cries out, I thirst, he's not talking about water. He doesn't need hydration. He needs the presence of the Father, his meat and drink, and it has been withdrawn with his permission, his consent. It's not a punishment, but he enters into that separation, that alienation for the sake of the world's salvation. But he feels this absence, the presence of an absence. And maybe Mary's role is to provide that presence because she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So it's as if the third person really was there yeah. to bridge mm -hmm. this separation between Father and Son. There, there's a profound truth here, but I, and I have read von Speyer and I appreciate her. But I think at the same time, we need a, you know, a good foundation in St. Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> and, and Schoenborn quotes Bernard and so does Ratzinger, you know, that God is you know, impassable. Yeah. He's not capable of suffering in his divine nature. Yeah. That doesn't render him less capable of loving yeah. because while he is impassable, he's not incompassible. That is, he can show compassion on those who suffer far beyond anything else that others, you know, that creatures can show. And so when he assumes humanity, you know, the divine nature of Jesus doesn't diminish Jesus' capacity to suffer. It enlarges it mm -hmm. because love doesn't shrink our capacity. It intensifies our desire and willingness to suffer. So the suffering of Jesus on the cross is not, you know, play acting. Right. It really is an emptying right. in his humanity right. that corresponds to some mystery of divinity. And Mary shares in it. You know, and I think all of us do, but I mean like an eyedropper. That's right, know? that's right, that's right. Well, and, and also too, just in reading your book, um, 33 Days to Morning Glory, we did the Marian consecration with our family. It was, it was Maximilian Kolbe, the whole idea of Mary being that spouse of the Spirit that gives you the ability to stand at the foot of the cross, to be united uh, in, a, in a very powerful way uh, to that union. I mean, how did you personally kind of see the connection between divine mercy and Mary? How did that come? Actually, it's, uh, it's 
it's sort of strange. Uh, I had done my, the Marian consecration when I was a student here at Steubenville, <laughs> and it was it was great. I was filled with all these consolations, and then I went a in a period of about 12 years of dryness in my devotion to Our Lady. I felt like maybe she'd abandoned me because I wasn't good enough, and you know that I was just you know I didn't, wasn't praying enough rosaries or something. It's a lie, but I was it was it lodged its in my, into my heart. Mm. Uh, but it was interesting because during that 12-year period, I came to discover and fall deeply in love with Divine Mercy. I said, well. I don't know about Mary, you know, she might not like me so much because I'm not doing this sacrifice and this and that, but Jesus is infinite mercy. I'm the biggest knucklehead, so that's why he loves me because he's looking for those like that. Right. <laughs> well, what I came to understand, when I was writing that book, um, I was reading about John Paul II's homily that he gave after he was shot. It was a year anniversary in Fatima, the year anniversary of his being, after being shot. And this homily, the topic was the meaning of Marian consecration. And he said something in it that knocked my socks off. He said, the meaning of Marian consecration is for Mary, the whole purpose of it is for Mary to bring us to the pure side of Christ, mm. which he identified as the fountain of mercy. Yeah. And suddenly for me it clicked. I realized, oh my gosh, these 12 years, it wasn't that Mary had abandoned me. Right. It was that she was doing her job. Right. She, was out of, she was not in front and center anymore. She was sort of behind me pushing me into the rays of divine mercy, and she was successful. She got me to trust in the divine mercy, and that's all she wants to do. She wants to get out of the way and push right. us to experience right. the love and the mercy pouring forth from the heart of Jesus, which is also the fountain of the sacramental life of the church, of baptism in the sacraments. And so, for me, that was, that was the awful. discovery. John Paul drew the connection there, Mary and mercy, and that she's doing her job when she brings us to trust in God's mercy. Yeah. St. Bernard of Clairvaux, in his treatise on Our Lady, speaks of her as the aqueduct. I mean, mm -hmm. she is this river to her people, the channel. It flows through her. So she's mediating all this mercy when you thought she had uh, taken a powder yeah. uh, because it, you weren't good enough. That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, and, and what is, what is, uh, what is the, the phrase of St. Louis de Montfort uh, on the consecration as the easiest, most effective? Oh, yeah. Uh, meaning? Oh, yeah. That, was, that was what hooked me when I was a student. I was, <laughs> had all these things. Somebody said, well, you got to read this book. I said, man, I don't have time. I've got all these classes. He gave me the book. I went back to my room. I thought, I looked in the back and it said, according to Louis de Montfort, total consecration of Jesus through Mary is the quickest, easiest, surest way to become a saint. I'm like, man, that is what <laughs> I, I need. For That's it. That is what I need. Yeah. But it's, it's not in the sense of like some magical thing. It's that we have this mother that was given to us from the cross yeah. that Jesus said, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. We are all her sons and daughters. And the consecration of Jesus through Mary is simply to give her permission mm. to be that mother. She's longing to do that. She's longing to lead us to the pure side of Jesus. Yeah. We have to give her our yes. You know, it's not offer. just that she's sinless. It's mm. the fullness of grace that she possesses. She's the only creature who loves God as much as he deserves to be loved. Right. Yeah. And that's what she wants to help us do. And not just us, but angels too. I mean, yeah. she's the queen yeah. of angels. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. And she's a mother, so it's the ten we experience the tenderness of God's right. love. She's not God, yeah. but we get something of the tenderness of God, the Ramin, right? Or whatever, you know, the, the biblical mercy, guy. The, 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 right? the womb, the yes. The womb, th that's a, a biblical language for mercy that Mary represents in a certain sense and communicates to us. She's a Jewish mother, though, so she's not going to allow us to shirk the cross. That's Amen. right, that's right. Well, but but that's, as a that's, Jewish mother, she cooks. <laughs> <laughs> Stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. Which may be a cross. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, Divine Mercy has always been installed just in, just in my home life. Um, for me, it was nothing extra that I picked up. It was just something that was always part of my family life. And it, it's, 
it's been growing as I've matured in my years um, just to really trust in the Lord and enter into His, his mercy and His forgiveness, especially in our, in our culture today when many people don't believe in themselves, lose confidence. Um, just knowing that our Lord is there and He loves us and He will forgive us no matter what. Part of Divine Mercy is very personal for me in my daily life, um, of knowing that we are all human, we're all sinners, and we need the Lord's mercy. And just having that mentality helps me to be loving and Christ-like to other people and forgiving. Um, and in a larger way, when I meditate and think on the, the big evils that are here in this world right now, um, sometimes it can be very depressing and um, and the only logical way to respond to that is through prayer and through love and so the chaplet of divine mercy is huge and important for that reason explore the treasures of your catholic heritage on a franciscan university pilgrimage led by inspiring spiritual directors you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the holy land poland france and italy and you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu pilgrimages. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, this entire program is taped right here in the studios of Franciscan University. Um, all the cameras and the equipment are being operated by our students. Um, our, our panelists, Regis Martin and, and Scott Hahn, are professors here at the university. Uh, so we've been talking about uh, Divine Mercy and Mary. Uh, this last segment we talked about Our Lady. This is a great book, 33 Days to Morning Glory. Uh, it's a consecration that's simple, it's very effective, and, and you really should pick it up and make it a part of your spiritual life. Um, Father, we, we've been talking about uh, Mary, we're talking about divine mercy, uh, but we're now in a year of faith. Uh, we're about halfway into a year of faith almost. And um, what are some of the things that, that, that divine mercy could be intersecting here with the year of faith? Or some things that we might look forward to uh, as, as, as Catholics, as faithful Catholics? Sure. Maybe we'll start right, what is the year of faith? You know, mm. I think a key to you know, getting an, an insight on what this year of faith means is that the starting date of the year of faith which is October 11th, you know, the feast day we always look forward to every year, the, the Feast of St. Fidelis, patron saint of faith, right? No, <laughs> no, no it's, it's, the, it's the 50th anniversary of the, of the commencement of the Second Vatican Council. Vatican II, I think, is a certain key to this year of faith. And Pope Benedict, in his letter Porta Fide, which talked about this year of faith, says, you know, that Vatican II and, and the teaching of the Second Vatican Council can lead to ever greater renewal for the church, even mm -hmm. today. And so it's sort of unpacking that. And if we look at what Vatican II is all about, which I like the interpretation of John Paul II, right? His interpretation is that Vatican II was a unique kind of council. It was responding not to heresy or attacks against the church's doctrine, but a pastoral problem with, among Catholics in the modern world. And namely, the pastoral problem is the split, the scandalous split that's present so much of between faith and life. Yeah. You know, where there's this split. I profess that I'm a Catholic, and yet my life is, to, is lived totally differently. So the council, as a pastoral council, its goal was to help Catholics bridge that gap between faith and life. And one of the ways they tried to do that was to help you know, put the teachings of the church into a language and in a context that modern people would better understand. You know, to basically, I, the way I summarize it, is it's helping Catholics, again, take the faith from the head to the heart. Mm. And so, 
for me, divine mercy in the year of faith, and the reason, I think the core reason why John Paul II emphasized it so much was not because it was his Polish kick, right? He liked St. Faustina, she was from Poland. It wasn't that. It was he was implementing the council and that he wanted to take the, one of the most important truths for us to get from our head to our heart, that God is love, that God is mercy. And the, so what he proposed is, again, as you know, this sort of carries on from our first segment, but concrete things, concrete practices that can help the, 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 the idea that God is mercy go from my head to my heart. So we've got the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, which is personal prayer and a personal experience of Divine Mercy. You've got Divine Mercy Sunday, communal, liturgical experience of Divine Mercy. You've got the three o'clock hour where we remember the three o'clock hour, Jesus dying on the cross, so that times of our day, daily, are sanctified, remembering Divine Mercy. Mm. We've got the Novena to Divine Mercy, more times sanctified. But then, uh, my favorite part in some ways is the image of Divine Mercy, art. Mm. That you know, art and culture and literature and poetry, those are things that, that sort of, they baptize the imagination. They, they get under the radar of reason and speak and change our hearts. I think that's what John Paul was about. And then he promoted Faustina because she gave a unique and powerful testimony to Divine Mercy, which is a testimony is not just, you know, a, a, a lecture, it's something that, you know, hits the heart. And that's what he wanted to do. And that was really what Vatican II was all about. Wow. You know, <laughs> I've got to jump in. You know, the, the, the image of Divine Mercy has permeated, you know, our, our, our Catholic culture, but not, not enough. I mean, I, I'm glad to have heard you say before, you know, this, this last segment that um, divinemercyart.com is going to make available that image in, its, in, a, in, in a certain sense in its most beautiful form. Yeah. And divinemercyart.com is something that people need to go to, especially for <laughs> Divine Mercy Sunday and all of the rest, because, you know, I'm not making a cent from this, so I can say this, and I know you're not either, but I mean, <laughs> We need that image because it really gives us fuel for prayer. I know that from experience where I'm really tired and I can't really read, you know, because I'm going to my hour, you know, around 11 p.m. And I look at that and I look at it some more and it just, uh, it intensifies something when you're, especially when you're weak. It is. Like, Dr. Yeah. Han, you, you continue to be one of my favorite people in the world. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's You're too easily pleased. I mean, the, He's uh, chilling. The image, because what we're doing with that is, is there's an image that Faustina herself like, had painted, yeah. and it took 12 tries before it was satisfactory. She had the artist. There was only one image, and that's the Vilnius image. And for years, it's been very darkened because there's been, uh, you know, the candles and the soot made the image dark, and a lot of people didn't like it. What we did is we restored it. Yeah. And, uh, and it's like this vibrant image as Faustina herself would have seen it. Mm. Right. And it's, I can't describe for you, that, that, I have a lot of personal experience. My dad had a, a, what I believe was a, a miraculous cure from cancer before wow. that image. I was able to, I think, persevere through a marathon time in the seminary because of that image. Right. Because Jesus promised to Faustina that he would give special graces through that image. Right. The reason I like it so much is, you know, after the fall of Adam and Eve, when, when God came walking in the garden after they disobeyed him, what was their response when they heard him walking? They split. They took right. off. They were afraid of him. And this image of divine mercy, it's, it's the Lord saying, you know, he came with the, the sacred heart devotion, hoping that that would draw people to him. They would have compassion. It didn't work completely. Right. And so he's saying, 
I'm going to come to you. And in that image, he's taking a step forward. The rays of mercy are going out to him. He's got his hands raised, not in a divine smackdown, but <laughs> a raise in blessing. Right. And he's putting on our lips that beautiful prayer at the bottom of the image. Jesus, I trust in you. And his goal is to heal that wound in our hearts that we are afraid of our loving, merciful Father, and we don't need to be. We need to turn away from sin. We have to give up sin. There's no compromise there. But even if we're stuck in sin, if we come to him, we don't have to, we don't have to be perfect to go to him. We go to him with our attachments, with our sins, but with a, a, a desire to receive mercy, a desire for conversion, and he does the rest. Right. C could you describe exactly uh, that image? Because, uh, you know, the image has an immediacy. It's visual, it's concrete, hard-hitting. What precisely is the image? What do we see when we look at it? Sure, there's some, some more details on the image. One, as I think scripturally, it's a, it's a recreation, a representation of John chapter, help me here, 19, 19, where Jesus is appearing in the upper room to the disciples who are, who are in there because they're afraid that the people who crucified Jesus are going to be coming after them. The doors are locked. You imagine the atmosphere in there. They're terrified. They're fearful. They're probably shamed because they know that they've betrayed their friend. And so they're up there in this dark place and that Jesus then appears in their midst. He just goes through the door. And his first words to them is are, you knuckleheads, why, were, why did you abandon me? No, those weren't his words. Yeah. Rather, he said to them and with his hand raised in blessing, shalom, peace right. be with you. Yeah. And then he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And he gave them, who has ever sinned, you forgive or forgiven them. He gave them the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of reconciliation, forgiveness. And that's the scene of this image. It's Jesus stepping in miraculously you know, and the, the, around the image, there's darkness, stepping into our darkness and saying, I'm not waiting for you to come to me. I'm coming right, to you. Right. The missionaries of charity, once I talked with them, they said the most powerful thing they do is for a while they waited for the poor to come to them and they realized that wasn't happening. They realized they need to go out to them and right. it makes such an impact. Jesus himself in that image wants to come out to us and those rays, that are, there's a, ray, a red ray and a pale ray. The pale ray represents the waters of baptism, which cleanse us of our sins and make us sons and daughters of God, right? And heirs of the kingdom of our Heavenly Father. Then the other, the other ray is the red ray, representing the blood uh, that, that Jesus shed on the cross for us that brought our salvation, but also the Eucharist, where we share in the Paschal mystery. See, I, I've got to correct okay. myself because it's actually a, a coordination of John 19 and John 20, yeah, okay. because the passage of the resurrection appearance is John 20, 21. Yeah. Uh, but in John 19, where he is pierced its side, where his side is pierced, out comes the water and the blood. But it isn't just a one-time event that we can freeze frame and kind of go back in time and see, okay, water and blood flowed from his pierced side. I mean, John interrupts his own narrative. He who saw it has borne witness and his testimony is true. And, and it's just like, John, you know, you're, you're telling a narrative and all of a sudden you stop just to emphasize the fact that you saw this, you know. Yeah. Well, that's because what he saw was not just you know, a physiological thing. The water is the water of baptism that cleanses us. The blood is the blood of the covenant, the Eucharist. And to show that it's not a one-time event, the, the, the icon, the image in John 20 captures the fact that that is still flowing from his pierced side. Mm -hmm. That the mercy wasn't just on Good Friday, it's every day. And, yeah. and that's one, one part I forgot to mention about that that you're bringing out here, the connection of the Paschal mystery, the yes. death and resurrection. Pope Benedict said the best images are those that capture the entire Paschal mystery. And what Jesus said to Faustina about this image is he said, my gaze from this image, this is why I like the Vilnius image so much and why we did so much to restore it, uh, so that people could see the eyes. Because the eyes, they're not looking right at 
you directly. It's actually a, a gaze downward, which is sort of a humble gaze, but also he says, this is my gaze from the cross. It's a gaze of love. But also in the image, you see the, 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 you see the wounds in the hands and in the side, so it captures the whole Paschal mystery. He has the wounds of his passion, but at the same time, there's, there's and the blood and water are gushing forth from that pure side, but it's also, it's also the symbol of the resurrection, with that, with that, that breathing on the Holy right. Spirit. So it's, it's a summation of our faith, and it really evokes, John Paul gave beautiful reflections on that this, when we are in the presence of this image, it's, there's a dialogue of hearts, and evo it evokes from our hearts just the image itself as we see our merciful Savior coming to us, it makes us say, Jesus, I trust in you. Yeah. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. I mean, that prayer's been on my lips for 15 years, yeah. and, he, and he wants well, to give The us way you presented the outline of, of this blueprint makes Christianity seem wonderfully attractive, mm. almost, well, irresistible, irresistible. Uh, yeah. in fact. How yeah. could anybody say no to this? Yeah. Because we all need mercy. And hasn't right. Satan done a great job of it's distorting that image? Right. Yeah. And, and also a lot of Christians. I mean, yeah. this darkly yeah. Calvinist, Jansenist uh, 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 insistence upon God's first word to the world being a word of wrath and judgment. You all go to hell. But no, <laughs> it isn't anathema, it's mercy. His first word is a word of love. As, as Scott pointed out, he loved us into being. Yeah. Uh, and, and so uh, we are first given in this being by love and then forgiven in you know, it's, this being It's almost by too love. good to be true. It's over the top. A little it, pride goes a long way in blocking our view from this. It's so right. true. Right. Now, in, in the last few moments of this segment, I mean, we're in this year of faith. Are there some other, we talked about the beautiful image. We've, we've mentioned a little bit about Divine Mercy Sunday. Um, in this year of faith, are there any things that you could recommend uh, for uh, our viewers? Sure. I mean, I would, I would say start living the devotion, mm -hmm. which will help you to live the message. Mm -hmm. And that, again, Finch, F-I-N-C-H, the feast. Celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday to the full. You know, receive the great graces on that day. What, what, just give me a, a 30 sure. seconds on that. Okay. The great graces. Yeah, because a lot of times people say, well, what's the grace of Mercy Sunday? Is it a plenary indulgence or is it something else? You can get a plenary indulgence on Divine Mercy Sunday, but there's a promise that Jesus gives to us through Faustina, and it's basically this. To get a plenary indulgence, you have to do the indulgence act, prayers for the Holy Father, and uh, the confession, uh, I think eight days before or after, something like that, Don't somewhere yeah, in there. That's right. And finally, detachment from sin. Total detachment from oh, sin. Oh, that's all. Oh, that's and, it. And now, so <laughs> that's where actually, divine mercy comes well, in. It, well, yeah. the thing is, is if you say, there's a story about St. Philip Neri that I'd heard where he was giving a parish mission and people who had come could receive a plenary indulgence. And he said the Holy Spirit told him only two people were receiving that plenary indulgence. The, the, um, Philip Neri and a six-year-old boy in the audience, <laughs> presumably because people are attached to sin. Now, does that mean we don't try and get plenary indulgence? Right, we, right. we strive for that. And if we miss, we get a partial indulgence. But the Grace of Mercy Sunday, it's a, it's a grace that when Karol Wojtyla, John Paul II, he had one of the top theologians in Poland investigate, what is this Grace of Mercy Sunday? His name was Ignacy Rozitsky. And Rozitsky said he likened the grace that you can receive uh, through this, this promise to a second baptism. Yeah. It's not a baptism, but right. it so thoroughly cleanses the soul that it's like a baptism. A and to get it, all you need is confession sometime during Lent or Easter week or Mercy Sunday, and the des be in the state of grace and have the desire to receive that gift. So don't miss it. It's my favorite day of the year because of the clean slate right. grace. That's beautiful. Right. That's beautiful. Yeah. To me, that's the clean slate. <laughs> <thing. That's laughs> yeah. yeah, nothing is more beautiful than to begin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. to begin so it's again. it's the feast, it's the image. image. It's the chaplet. The chaplet, the hour of mercy. Uh, the novena. <laughs> the novena. I, I skipped in. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would just say, people, to discover this message of my mercy, look at the image, get the image, go to uh, divinemercyart.com yeah. and, and yeah. get one of those things and really, but above all, 
trust in Jesus' mercy. It yeah. seems too good to be true, right. but it's not true. His mercy is there for everyone if we turn to Him and turn away from sin. And we have to receive it, and we have to share that, that and mercy And we have to be us. merciful to yeah. others. Yeah. You can't receive The measure we give will be measured back. If we refuse right. to forgive... Right. It's short yeah. circuits. It, it, yeah. Uh, stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. Uh, you won't want to miss our highlights uh, at the end of the show. The answer to evil is good, is our Lord Himself, is that goodness that He brings. And they are not evenly matched. We know what happens. We peeked at the back of the book. We know who wins. Christ triumphs and he gives us the honor of sharing in this with him. It is such a privilege to be able to pray this chaplet and such a privilege to enter into that with him. My name is Kelly Butler and I'm a communication arts major. I took independent digital filmmaking. Definitely intense. Many all-nighters in the editing lab getting things done. Pope John Paul II has a quote, do not be afraid to go out into the streets and into public places to preach Christ like the first apostles. That's what we're called to as Catholics and as Christians. You have that responsibility that every work you create should reflect Christ. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, this is our final segment. We've been talking about Mary and Divine Mercy. Uh, Regis, could you start us off with kind of a summation points on our topic today? <laughs> right. Well, I'm, I'm filled with gratitude, Father, uh, for everything that you've said. You've put these matters uh, so winsomely. Uh, I didn't realize that mercy could be so exciting. Uh, and uh, your treatment of, of the theme is learned uh, and pious and, and just overflowing with, with ardor. Uh, you make it really infectious. Uh, thank you. And, and God bless uh, your apostolate. It, it sounds pretty demanding, uh, pretty exhausting. Uh, let me put in a word for Mary. I mean, not that we've uh, neglected her, but, but she is prominent uh, uh, in this whole economy of, of divine mercy. One of my favorite passages uh, uh, in, in Scripture is, is the scene uh, where Jesus is at the wedding. Uh, it's the first of the great signs he performs, and for some reason they've run out of wine. Uh, and Mary very gently reminds him uh, they have no wine just like that. It's not a command performance, it's a gentle suggestion insinuating that, you know, there's no wine. Could you do something about it? And, and Jesus is delighted uh, to produce all these barrels of wine, which I suspect uh, was probably a rich, dark, burgundy wine. <laughs> uh, he doesn't produce lemonade or, or grape juice, but wine. And all because Mary uh, asked him mm. to do that. It, it's as if she's speaking on our behalf. Uh, we don't have wine, we don't have faith, we don't have mercy. Well, we do, but we don't think we need it, or we don't think we're good enough to get it. And she reminds Jesus of what it is we need. And we're children of poverty. We're desperately in need of mercy. And, and God can hardly wait uh, to dispense it, but somebody has to ask him has to remind him, point out the need, the poverty. And, and that's Mary's place. And, and at Mass, when we say, look not on our sins, but on the faith of the church, we're talking about Mary, Mary's faith. Mary is the church. Uh, and we'd like, we'd like Jesus to see us through the lens and the prism of, of her faith. And that gives us hope. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Regis. Uh, Scott? Beautiful. <coughs> 
Yeah, I just want to thank you, Father Michael, for what you're doing uh, and also what uh, God is doing through you and also the other Marians of the Immaculate Conception. I mean, uh, here at Franciscan Univer University, I think we can take a sort of humble pride in the fact that you and Father Don Calloway and Father Mark Barron and uh, Father John Larson and a number of others are kind of forming a cadre, a, a Marian army of divine mercy and uh, going out and conquering the proud souls like mine, you know. It's, it's really wonderful. And I also wanted to mention this new book of yours, uh, what is it, The One Thing is Three, uh, which is not a small book, uh, but it's a clear one. And it, it really focuses upon meditation upon the Holy Trinity. Uh, I think a lot of people tend to think of the universe as being impersonal. It's extremely personal. It's a kind of cosmic personalism. It's three persons, and all three are just uh, dying. Well, one of them was dying to, to save us and to dispense a divine life upon us that uh, is a mercy that goes beyond all telling. And it's just fun to be collaborators, you know, uh, and I'm grateful to God for what he's doing. But I want to end my brief comment by, by, by saying, you know, Finch, you, know, mm. you really got me on that one. You know, the, the feast, the image, the novena, the chaplet, and the hour, uh, and especially the image. At this point in history, I think that is going to be fuel for prayer and uh, for, for mercy in homes, in marriages, and in parenting, and uh, all the places where we need the deep healing that goes beyond our human means. So what is it, divinemercyart.com? Go there, get it, and get it for your loved ones too. Because I think people are gonna be shocked to find out how many more miracles are gonna happen because of that. Oh, that's powerful, thank you, Scott. And thank Father? Um, well, I had some words to prepare, but uh, listening to you guys, I wanna first just say, so, uh, first thank you for, uh, for your words, and especially uh, what I would like to follow up with, you mentioned the Marians. We're a young community, we've got all these vocations. I ask the viewers, please pray for us. Yeah. Uh, pray. There's a lot of young priests very, uh, with a lot of responsibilities. Pray that we be, become saints, that all of us would become saints for the glory of God, for His mercy, for Our Lady. Um, Dr. Martin, I thank you for the beautiful words about our Blessed Mother. I was I sort of totally distracted. I was like, what am I gonna say after that? Because it was so beautiful. And one of the, I would like to follow from that and just say to the viewers that, you know, Mary is our mother. She's not God but she's a gift from God to us. And it's hard to describe as a Catholic, like what, uh, like I had a period for years where I, I, I didn't think Mary was so important and she, she had a rediscovery of Mary. And now I understand her as, as this loving mother. Who doesn't want a mother? Motherhood is so beautiful. Mothers are tender, they're wonderful. They mediate God's love to us. Mm -hmm. And God has given us the most perfect mother. And I encourage all the viewers, you know, if, if you've got some dryness or difficulties in your devotion to Our Lady, like, keep going, keep pursuing that. Keep pursuing getting to know Mary as your mother because you're gonna be pleasantly surprised. And don't worry that she's gonna take you away from Jesus. Everybody I've ever, I've ever spoken to says, she leads us to Jesus. It's her job to bring us to discover divine mercy. It's her job, as John Paul II, as Mother Teresa said, it's her whole role to bring us to the pure side of Jesus, to experience the fountain of mercy. And that's maybe where I would, I would then end is, is also to, to really come to experience divine mercy. We know about divine mercy. We know that God is merciful. But to do an examination of conscience, realize that we are sinners, but also that God is infinite mercy. And what that means really, for what it means for me, is that God doesn't love me. And for a long time, 
and I, God loves me. Let me stop there. God doesn't love me because I'm so good, because I'm so this or that, because I've done that. God's ways are not our ways. He doesn't love as human beings love. You know, we get attracted because somebody has all of these talents and gifts. God is different. He loves us because we need, he, we need His love. His heart goes after the lost sheep. The more miserable a soul is, the more his heart goes out. He's, our God has the heart of the good shepherd. And if you're a viewer and you're watching, you're saying, God must not love me. I've done this in my life, this in my life, this in my life. Then he loves you with a particular love. You're, it's, he's, he's going after you. He loves you. And so uh, my invitation to you is, is, if it seems too good to be true, I'm telling you, it is true. It took me 15 years to get it from my head to my heart, and I'm still working on it. But I can finally come to say, God loves me, and He loves me because I need His love, and the love is overwhelming. And I hope all of us will experience that love, and that we would also live in response to that love by the virtue that's so important in the message of divine mercy, which is trust. Jesus, I trust in you. That when times are great, we still trust in Jesus. When times are difficult, when we're experiencing the cross, that we don't turn our back on God, but realize He's still there for us. And even in the midst of tears that we say, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. As St. Faustina said, never was it known that someone who trusted in God's mercy was disappointed. Amen. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you for being a part of this program. Uh, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today about Mary and mercy, we have a download for you at faithandreason.com or by calling us. It's uh, excerpts from the encyclical of Pope John Paul II on mercy. Uh, we referenced it uh, earlier today uh, in our program. It, it is powerful. Uh, when we look at, at mercy in our lives in this year of faith, uh, there are so many things that we can do. I want to invite you to invest in your, uh, your family, invest in your home, in, in bringing that image, bringing that prayer into your home. Uh, it is a powerful time for us in this year of faith. Let's make it effective in our, our lives. Um, this entire program here, Franciscan University Presents, springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University. And I want to invite you uh, to be a part of that, maybe getting your degree here on campus or through our distance learning program. Maybe you would join us at one of our summer conferences or one of our pilgrimages. Um, or maybe it's something that you just want to visit some of the lectures and some all the past programs of Franciscan University Presents at faithandreason.com. Uh, this is a, our joy, our ministry to serve uh, you. Uh, this is uh, a great program. Father, could you close us uh, with your blessing? I'd be happy to. Uh, for everyone present here and for those viewing, through the intercession of Mary Immaculate and all the angels and saints, may Almighty God give you peace joy and a great trust in God's infinite mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, thanks for having me. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents, or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.